0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Becoming Mum podcast. I'm your host, first-time mum, Nicole Joy, author, teacher, and wellness advocate. I'm here to support mums and mums-to-be alike on their pregnancy, birth, and motherhood journeys. I'm here to remind you that the path you end up taking may not look like the one you thought it would, and that's perfectly okay. We need to give up this idea that there is only one way to become a mum and be a mum and celebrate the differences among us. This podcast has everything you need to know about getting pregnant, having a baby, and navigating that precious time that follows. Thank you for being here. I really hope it makes a difference. This week's episode is super special to me. I am chatting with Alana Jane, a mother, writer, a meditation and kundalini yoga teacher who just happens to be one of my very best friends. We are chalk and cheese, and I've had a strong friendship from the day we met on a dance floor over 10 years ago. I feel like Alana is my own personal guru, and when I find myself in a situation that is uncomfortable or when I just don't know what to do, I call Alana. She has a way of bringing calm and wisdom to any situation and always knows just what to say. Today we talk about her decision to home birth and what was involved in making those decisions. And then we talk about some pretty deep stuff, specifically about miscarriages. So trigger warning here, I urge you not to listen to this if this is something that is quite fresh for you or you're not in the right headspace to relive some of those emotions. If enough time has passed for you, which will be different for everyone and you do feel like you're capable of listening to it, I have no doubt you will find comfort in her words. Welcome to the show, my bestie, Alana. How exciting is this? This is
1: so exciting.
0: Thank you for having me, darling. Oh, and it's just such an honour because you've got such a beautiful story and I know that it will resonate with so many of my beautiful listeners. So we'll jump straight into it and we start with your beautiful roomie bear. You're nearly four-year-old now, right?
1: Yeah, he's almost four. Can you can you
0: believe that? I, I, I can't believe that. I remember visiting you not long after you had him when you were in Brisbane and yes. I don't know, maybe a maybe a month or a few weeks old and just holding him on my chest. I and think now, it would have been about six weeks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, six weeks. And now he's just like we had a full conversation on the phone when I spoke to you last Ooh. week. <laughs> it's just Oh, he's just such a, he's such a testament to you and I, he's just the most beautiful little boy. And you decided to uh, give birth to him at home, which mm-hmm. you had a lot of pushback from. I would love for you to talk about your decision to go ahead with a home birth and how you dealt with what obviously happens when you go against mainstream and, and uh, yeah, just how you, how you had to talk about why you did that um, to a lot of people that thought it wasn't a good idea.
1: Mm. yeah there was a lot of that <laughs> <laughs> um but there was also a huge amount of uh support because it opened me up to a community that prior to being pregnant I didn't even know existed mm. um so our choice to home birth was fairly intuitive I guess we when we fell pregnant with Rumi we decided that um, we wanted to cultivate the calmest space that we could for our birth experience. Um, And from the beginning, it was very much a joint decision. So Nigel and I have been always really connected on our decision making. And so birth felt like a further extension of that and probably the most important decision that we would make um, as a couple. And um, so we started doing some research and looking into our different options. So we did look at a hospital birth. Um, we also looked at going into a birthing centre as well. Um, and we went to all of these places and just checked them out. And when I say that it was an intuitive feeling, it was just what were the feelings within us when we were in those spaces and home just kept coming up as the place that we felt most confident to birth him. Um, There were lots of, once we had sort of made a a rough decision on that, we started doing a bit more research about um, the pros and cons, if you will, about birthing at home and for us and what we had envisioned for our birth experience, it just kept leading us towards home. So we really wanted a quiet space. Um, We wanted a space that we felt that was ours uh, and that we could really, I guess, be in charge of the birthing experience, a space that we felt completely uninterrupted um, and that I could take my time because it was going to be my first birth. So we were expecting for it to be quite a long process, um, which it didn't end up being. But we just wanted to give ourselves the space to feel calm um, so that my body would respond to Rumi going through his birth process and so that, um, yeah, we felt really calm and really connected. Um, There were some technical aspects like him being born into his own environment and the environment that he was going to live in um, is a huge booster for his immune system. So we were planning to delay, if not, um, not do vaccinations at all. So home just kept coming up as the place For us. And it also meant that after the birth, I didn't have to transfer anywhere. Once I'd birthed, I literally just walked to my bedroom, um, which all just seemed like a a total dream. So I went through an interview, or we went through an interview process. I think I interviewed about 11 midwives. (laughs) Oh, wow. That Um, many? Yeah, I did. I sat with all that were available in Brisbane at that time. And there's only a
0: certain Um, amount that
1: can do home births. Is that right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. So you've got private midwives that are able to, or um, insured to facilitate home births, and then you've got midwives that work in hospitals. And I actually had met this beautiful woman that, Corinne, that you and I. I was had just about to say, yes.
0: yeah,
1: is this Corinne you're in going to talk mine. about? We love Corinne. We love Corinne, and. <laughs> she was such a beacon for me in the decision-making process because she had had four births and they had all been at home and completely natural. And she, I met her just at the right time that I was sort of making this decision or we were making this decision. And she really encouraged me to listen to my intuitive nature and my intelligence. And, um, she unfortunately works in a hospital, which meant that I couldn't have her at the birth, but, uh, she gave me a whole lot of contacts for people that could do that with us. So we started meeting people um, and then we ended up going with a group of midwives. So we had three that worked together in a team at our home. Did you have um, all three
0: there for the birth
1: or just yes. two? Yes. Yeah, you did. Okay. I had three. Yeah, yeah wow. I had three. So we felt so supported mm. and our birthing experience was the most stunning day of my entire life mm. I learned so much about myself and about Nigel and um, the importance of that connection and the importance of that connection guiding a new soul into the world mm. um, and yeah he, he came on his due date so I woke up on a Sunday morning and I went into labor at about uh, eight o'clock And I was convinced that I was not in labour at all. Um, I thought I was having Braxton Hicks. So Nigel had quietly been, that's my partner, keeping track of the contractions, luckily. Um, And he had documented that I had been contracting very very like very like a couple of minutes apart so he had been in contact with the midwife who then turned up and said yes you're eight centimeters (laughs) (laughs) so this baby is coming now um but because I still had in my head you know first time mother this is going to potentially be like a 24 hour Mm, which is quite common very common and my mother took a long time with all of us so I just felt like I would be over, as she was with all of us, like 10 or 11 days over, and that they would be long births, Mm. Um, and it was the complete opposite. He was born in, he went into labour at 8, and he was born at 2.22. So what's that, 6? Six, six hours 222 yeah, 22. of
0: course he was 222
1: for those listening I am obsessed with the number two <laughs> I live by it so the fact that he was born at 222 was uh I won't repeat what Nigel said when they called the timeout. out <laughs> of course you can if you want um, we're all for swearing on him <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. so yeah that was our birthing experience it was beautiful so he was born into water at home um and then they stayed for a couple of hours afterwards so that I could birth the placenta which we had the encapsulator turn up and take that away um and then the three of us by seven o'clock I think that night were all on our own at home Mm. so I'm fully aware that that could have gone in many different directions. Yeah, I
0: was just about to ask, because what everyone says is, but what if something was to happen? Mm -hmm. So, And I know you did a lot of research about this. So can you talk to us about what the midwives do in situations or what do they do to not be in those situations at all? They do things beforehand.
1: Mm. Um. And I'm really glad you've asked this actually because I feel like the relationship between the woman birthing and the midwife is so important. Definitely. And not just for the birthing process but through the entire pregnancy. There is a an intelligence and a wisdom and um, uh, a This deep level of support that is just passed on and built through that process that prepares you physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally for that birthing experience. And what that then means is in the moments where I, if we did have to transfer and something was going um, awry and wasn't going to plan, I knew that she knew what our vision was for the birth and our dream was for the birth i developed a level of trust with her and rapport. So I had this deep trust, as did my partner, that if she had said we need to transfer, I wouldn't have questioned it. Mm. I would have just gotten in the car and gone straight to the hospital. And our house at that time, we were in Brisbane when we um, gave birth to Rumi. Um, We were literally around the corner from the hospital. Oh, that's right. You were just down the road. Yeah, right down the road. So and when and when obviously you book uh, a private midwife, they are associated with a hospital, so for us it was the Royal Brisbane, which meant that if we um had to transfer, I was already booked in and registered to be birthing on that day or at least due on that day. Mm. So if I had turned up, it wouldn't there wouldn't have been any paperwork. I would have just gone straight through into probably surgery. Um, yeah, right yeah but I guess sorry go oh just your first question about the pushback with yeah
0: that's where I was going to go with yeah (laughs)
1: Yeah, with people about home birth and I actually even though there was quite a lot of it and it's often from people who you're very close with Mm. I did and I don't know where the strength came for this um maybe just being so confident in our choice but I was expecting it and I was okay with it. Um, did you try and, and defend kind of learnt, yourself? Like did you, did you sort so of go? I'd never, I don't feel like I ever really defended myself. I just really chose, and you and I have spoken about this so much, mm. that I just chose. Um, You're much better at doing it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> the moments where it was necessary to have that conversation and the moments where I could just let it go. You know, when people said to me things that were very confronting and which I did have, you know, a a good friend's mother say to me, you're going to die and your baby is going to die. Oh, Um, I think I forgot that. I'm sure you told me that. But wow. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like no rose tinted glasses on that. It was she just said that to me, you know, this is a high possibility that you could die and and that um, your baby could die. And so, in that moment, I did choose to sit down with her and, if you will, educate her on Mm. the decision that we had made and assure her that it was not a rash choice. I wasn't just like, well, I'm a yogi, so I'm going to birth at home, (laughs) which is
0: what a lot of people would have thought. It's
1: what a lot of people would have thought. And it was such a deep, uh, researched, um, collective decision. It wasn't just me, it was my partner as well. And he was far more comfortable at home. I mean, what a dream to have him (laughs) wanting that, but it was not just my choice. I never just saw it as my choice. It was both of us. Mm. And luckily we're on the same page, but yeah, I did get pushback, and sometimes I try to explain it. Mm. Um, Other times I just let people have their opinion because I think what I've learned is that there are a lot of different birth stories and you can have two people have a home birth and they'd be completely different experiences as, as well. So I'm not of the opinion that one birth is better than another. I think it comes down to the mother and her partner and what they choose to do and what they choose to do is the right thing for them. Yeah, um, It goes with all aspects I, of parenting too. It goes with all aspects, exactly. And I, I feel like that is that is the place where you set the tone for how you're going to parent. When you make those first initial choices, even if we had ended up in hospital and I'd ended up with an emergency cesarean section, then I I would have had to uh, you know accept that and work through that. But what I had done was work, started with a decision that was ours mm. and felt that I was in control because I feel that the main thing that I see in motherhood, whether it's Birthing, or vaccinations, or where to send their children, or how to discipline children, or how to how to parent, how to co-parent with your partner. The thing that I see the most is that it starts with this lack of trust of our own innate intelligence. Mm. And uh, for me, that started with birth. That I wanted, I knew that I assumed, could only imagine that motherhood was going to be the roller coaster that it, it has definitely become. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to start in as confidently as I could with learning how to listen to myself and trusting that what came up was the best thing for us so yeah Mm. that's I guess how we navigated our home birth experience
0: and as you said I like I feel like the most important thing is there is is that you and Nigel on the same page and you actually did your research it wasn't a it I know that it wasn't a light decision for you I know as you mentioned you interviewed 11 different midwives you you know you were looking and you didn't really mention this before but you're looking at the statistics of home births and all of you know because we all we hear is home birth is dangerous don't do it and and if you actually look at the the science and the statistics mm. behind it, it it actually paints a very different picture not that we'll mm. get into all of that now but I know and like with all topics, like if you actually do your research rather than listen to mainstream media and naysayers, mm. you'll find a very different outcome and and people don't like you to find those outcomes because it you know challenges yeah. their beliefs
1: yeah, exactly it does it does, and that's why there were moments where I chose to have that conversation with people and moments where I didn't because if I felt intuitively that the conversation was going to be redundant and there was not going to be um uh an openness to me trying to explain that then I would just leave it be Mm. if I felt that someone was open and curious or at least needed reassurance like the my friend's mother who was concerned about me dying Mm. that that, I wanted to show her that I was confident with this and that it wasn't like a a flash decision it was a really deeply considered it was probably the most considered decision I've ever made in my life Mm. you know I knew that I needed to be in a dark space that I needed to be in a space where there weren't a lot of strangers coming in and out of the room. And I, as a yoga and meditation teacher, I thrive in my own independent space and I knew that about myself. For somebody else, having people with them and to support them would be how they thrive. Mm. So it's just about being very clear about where you thrive and how you thrive yeah, and how, where you're most relaxed um, and then making decisions based on that rather than external stimulus and information. Yeah, so, which can be hard yeah. to
0: hard to do amongst all the noise, but a very important it sure thing to can. do. <laughs> yeah. Um, Surprised to falling pregnant with Rumi, you did experience a loss. Um, how long after that did you actually fall pregnant with Rumi?
1: So. We were never going to have children, Uh, and we fell pregnant the year before he was born um, and had the shock of the miscarriage. Well, actually, we had firstly the shock of being pregnant, Um, like a complete shock, (laughs) (laughs) because I was told previously by... Western and Eastern doctors that I would never fall pregnant. So I sort of had let that slide and I wasn't ever like you. There were, when I was younger, I wasn't like hanging to have a child. Mm. Um, it didn't, I didn't see it in my vision for my life. So when we fell pregnant, it was a complete shock. Um, and we miscarried about, I think it was about 10 weeks later, nine or 10 weeks later, mm-hmm. um, and the first time we miscarried the the one prior to Rumi I it just took a moment to set in because it was the shock of being pregnant then the high of being pregnant and a child coming and then a miscarriage so it was just this very confusing time for the two of us Mm. um and physically I uh because my body held on to it for quite a, a while. It took me quite a while for me to process that miscarriage physically. Um, it did cause a bit of damage to my body and it, it definitely put my hormones into a huge um, imbalance. So we had both decided that we wanted to wait 12 months, that we wanted to wait 12 months just to see if we felt differently in 12 months about potentially having another child or just 12 months to be very, very careful that I didn't fall pregnant again and uh, miscarry again. Mm. So it was 12 months okay. between that first miscarriage and
0: Romy. And was the decision that you didn't want to have children based on being told by health professionals that you weren't ever going to fall pregnant? Did that play into it at all?
1: It probably did. I mean, those conversations started from doctors when I was 18. Okay. So as a young woman... I wasn't even thinking about children really. Mm. So it probably planted a seed, but as time went on and I, I love to travel and um, I'm now a yoga teacher. So I really was, I loved being a, the freedom, I guess, of being able to travel. And uh, I just didn't feel that in this lifetime, my calling was to have children. Mm. I felt like I was here to serve in another way. So yeah, I, I think it was a combination of the of freedom. Yeah. Um also the planet. Do we really need more people? Mm. And that was something that came up a lot for both of us but particularly my partner and and still does. Mm. Um so it like in terms of contemplating having another child now. So yeah, it it did we waited the 12 months and um once we got to the end of that process, we thought it did flick on a maternal switch for me. That miscarriage. Yeah, I was just about to ask it that. Did. Yeah, it did because we did when we got to the end of the twelve months. I said, "Yeah, I feel like I would like to try," and I just said, "Yeah, so would I." And then the first time we tried, we fell pregnant. Mm. So Rumi was definitely meant to be here. Yeah. Um, and I actually feel that that spirit that we that that soul that we miscarried the first time is Rumi. Because the way that he felt in the womb that time, that, fir- that first miscarriage and the way that he felt when I went full term with him, mm. um, it felt like the exact like same familiar, spirit. Very familiar. Yeah, yeah. He moved the same way. He just, it felt exactly, it, it felt very familiar. Mm. And soon after the first miscarriage, I went to see a healer that I had been seeing off and on for years. So she knew me energetically quite well and about six months after that first miscarriage um, she said the I went to see her because I had this huge pain in my left shoulder and I said I don't really know what it is I've been having massages and I've had cupping and acupuncture and um, I've been trying to soften my yoga practice to to take care of it but and she said, Do you know what it is? So I said, I don't know. And she said, It's the spirit of the child that you miscarried. It's just oh, sitting it's on just your got shoulder. Full goosebumps. <gasps> so did, I burst oh, into tears. Wow. And now that I've and she said, The reason that you miscarried Alana is because you have constantly been cultivating this um, intelligence and balance and alignment within your energetic body. And you chose for him not to come in. And was that hard to hear? uh, Yes, because it made me think, think good things, think good things. But it also also made me um, just a reminder of our intuitive and and spiritual and energetic connection to our babies in the womb. Mm. So I guess it was a confronting thing to hear, but I'd heard so many so much feedback from teachers, I guess, over time that I was used to that, and I was always looking for ways to grow and balance and soften myself. So hearing that was just uh, another reminder that if this is something that I wanted that I needed to welcome it body, mind, and soul, mm-hmm. that it was not just a um a fluke that thing that was going to happen, mm-hmm. and that if it did happen again, I needed to really welcome it into my physical body and into my space which I didn't the first time. I was in shock for the first six weeks. I just couldn't believe it. So when Rumi arrived and now that he's here and I watch him grow, I always think back to that conversation because he is so in his feminine energy, which resides in the left side of the body. Mm. He's extremely comfortable with the unknown. He's very good at receiving. He has a wild imagination and he's very Gentle and intuitive mm. um, to the point where I thought I was carrying a girl when he was in the womb. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it. I feel like that has come full circle mm. that miscarriage mm. and then his birth.
0: Yeah. And was the pregnancy or the start of the pregnancy when you you know got past whether it be the twelve weeks or the first trimester, is it different once you've had? A miscarriage like beforehand are you always thinking is this going to go that way again am I anxious you know are you more anxious than normal is it did it impact on
1: on that pregnancy at all in that way yeah definitely did yeah it definitely did and I think mostly because this time I wanted it mm. and I didn't want to lose it yeah and so the first time the miscarriage it was sort of just like one shock after another like bang you're pregnant bang you're going to be a mother oh gosh do I really want this then accepting it and feeling great joy and then losing it
0: Mm.
1: I I feel like I didn't really get a moment to come up for air in that very quick uh, roller coaster couple of weeks with this pregnancy and with with Rumi's pregnancy um, that definitely played into it and I, just the fear of losing him. Yeah, the fear of losing my baby. Mm -hmm. And so I, during that pregnancy, I actually stopped work at the three month mark, which I was very fortunate at the time I was working in a job where I had the ability to take maternity leave whenever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, So once I did get to the 12 week mark, um, I did decide to not work for the the next six months. (laughs) Which sounds completely indulgent, and it—I guess—it's a—I am very aware that that's a luxury that not um, all women around the world have, but it is one that I we chose mm-hmm. together. So I spent basically from three months to nine months taking good care of myself. All I did was acupuncture, massages, gentle exercise, um, a lot of meditation. And a lot of healing, not just to keep the pregnancy, but to be very conscious about what I was passing on to him while he was in the womb. Mm. It was the first time that I have felt a real immediate calling to do the work that I knew was lurking below the surface that I had always just done for myself so that I could then serve, I guess, in teaching or retreats or workshops. But now I was actually carrying another soul in my body it just felt like the most poignant time to um, start unpacking stuff that I hadn't yet mm-hmm. unpacked. So, And just preparing myself on all levels for the birth experience. I was completely focused on that and then my postpartum um, period. So I did 40 days at home after he was born with no guests, mm-hmm. uh, just family um, for a couple of reasons, just to for boost his immune system, for he and I and, and Nigel to settle into parenthood and develop a strong bond and a strong connection with him um, and then open ourselves up to the greater world mm. so yeah. but yeah the anxiety did play into it it did and that's why I chose to uh, focus on my healing and relaxing myself mm. mostly yeah for birth yeah. Yeah,
0: And what would you say for people that can't take that much time off work? Like what are some daily things that they can do to to possibly help ease that uh, anxiety, particularly if they've had that miscarriage uh, uh, prior to Mm. falling pregnant?
1: Mm. Um, I think a daily ritual. A daily ritual is really important, that every day you're creating some kind of ritual, whether it be as simple as waking up And sitting straight up in bed and breathing quietly for three minutes before you do anything, before the brain goes into the to-do lists and um, the things that need to be done. Um, And I am also understanding that for some women listening, they already have children. So I had the luxury of not having children at at that point, Mm. which meant that I could just focus on myself even if there are children, just doing little things like taking care of yourself first. So if you're waking up and having a cup of hot water or a lemon water or uh, your coffee, whatever your morning ritual is just something that feeds you first. Oh, that's important.
0: Um, feeds you first. I love that.
1: Yeah. Feeds you first because I feel like that is a constant art and dance of motherhood that It can feel very odd, particularly when you've had other children and potentially done done it in a different way, Mm. you know, a way that you've always given to them and to yourself second or very, very last. Um, So it's, I guess, just reprogramming that during that time, that pregnancy, that that is the top priority. Even if there are other children there, that you're finding a way each day to get quiet to move slowly and to do less in that pregnancy time, that it is, it's is—it's only a nine-month period. It's a, such a sacred period of time um, and a meaningful period of time for you and the baby and the entire family that you allow that to be the number one thing and everything pivot around that during that time. So meditation is something that um, I would always recommend um, during that time and getting proper sleep, uh, less screen time, um, and lots of connection time with your partner. Mm. So I felt like Nigel was a huge support and anchor for me with the anxiety around, Oh, what if this happens? What if we miscarry again? What if me doing a headstand is, you know, dangerous for our baby? Mm. Um, and, again, there's lots of <laughs> opinions on that, a but bit. we'll leave that. Yeah. Leave that for um, another episode, shall again. we? <laughs> and another episode. Uh, very specific topic, <laughs> headstands during pregnancy. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I just think that the main thing is learning in that time how to slow down because when we're fast, our nervous system is affected, and when the nervous system is affected, the body doesn't function in a balanced whole way. Um, so finding ways to slow down, being in nature, taking your shoes off and being barefoot and connected to the mm. earth, I found that such a beautiful way to anchor myself. Um, when I was up in my head about the what ifs. Yeah. Slow yeah. down people.
0: Slow down.
1: Slow down and it. when we're there very, yeah, because when we're slow, there's a greater capacity to trust mm. because we're present. But when we're fast, we're constantly moving forward, looking at the next moment, and we're completely disconnected from the present moment. And the present moment is our, the wisest moment that we can be in. So when we're slow, we're more present. And when we're more present, we have a greater capacity to trust. I um, love that. And it's uncomfortable creating that when we're, we've been fast, but it is possible for everybody. Mm. That's a whole new episode there.
0: We could just go right there. No doubt. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. That's that's really good advice. Um, So switching gears a little bit, and when I say a little bit, Mm. I mean a lot. Um, This year you, you know, possibly had one of your greatest challenges and dare I say darkest moments with Mm. another miscarriage at a lot later this time, around 16, 17 week mark. Um, mm. Can you talk us through that and how that has transformed you and led you to be
1: where you are today? Yes. Um, so after Rumi was born, uh, we sort of went back to that same conversation that we had been having prior to even having children at all. Uh, do we want another? Um, can we sustain another? Is it good for our relationship? Is it good for the planet? Is it good for our financial situation? Can we still um, follow our individual and collective dreams and have the space to have another child? So for the last, Rumi is now three and a half, um, so I would say for the last three years we have been having this conversation Um so last year I was doing my kundalini teacher training. Uh, I trained in other areas before, but the kundalini had, had really called me. And through that training, there's a lot of teachings around women and a real uh, regard for motherhood and womanhood. Um, and a lot of teachings around the unknown, which if I go back to the decision and the conversations that I was having with Nigel, for me, a lot of the fear of another child was around the unknown. Will I still be able to teach? Will I still be able to travel? What if this child doesn't sleep as well as Robin did? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Will I cope with fatigue? Can my breasts breastfeed again? Can my vagina go through another birth? You know all mm. of these things um that were going on, and they were just my questions. Then Nigel had his list as well. So we arrived at a place at the end of last year where we both said, let's just (laughs) open it up and see what happens. Um, And we fell pregnant during my Kundalini teacher training. So I found out that I was pregnant in November and I'm I'm, I'm still a little unsure how pregnant I was. Um, But... Over that period, so November, December, January, my business that I was a part of took um, a big turn um, in its financial situation. And I, at the end of February, um, had to close the business. And by that, by that time, I was obviously pregnant and knew that I was pregnant. Um, and I was also... Um, the only director at that stage in the in the company which meant that it was a sole decision so it sat just on my shoulders so it was huge mm. and it felt like it, it was a bit of a shock to find out where we were and I um and a extremely stressful time um so I closed we closed on a Tuesday and I had an appointment with my midwife that afternoon. We were, we were planning for another home birth. So she had come to our house, um, as they do when you're having a home birth, to have your appointments here, which is just lovely. And when she put the, um, I can't think of the word right now, the little probe on my belly to. Oh, um, yeah. I can't either. Up. Mum brain, not going to help you over here. I don't yeah. <laughs> that
0: thing they put on I your belly.
1: To the um, I, there was no heartbeat. And she said to me, oh, well, you know, it's still, we're only just over the 12-week the mark. Um, so again, I'm a bit sketchy on how pregnant I was at that point. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, I think it was around 16 weeks. She said, oh, look, you know, usually under the 20 weeks, sometimes it can, the heartbeat is still a little bit hard to hear. And I knew at that point that I had embodied more stress, more anxiety particularly than I had I think ever in my life, I definitely had moments of anxiety, but not prolonged like I had been for the past couple of months and particularly in the last few days. Mm-hmm. So, and I had said to Nigel many times, I don't feel right in my body. I, I'm, I don't feel um, connected at all. I feel completely, I feel like I'm just all the parts of myself are separate from one another at the moment. And I knew that that would be having an impact on the baby. I didn't know that it would impact it as far as a miscarriage though. Mm. Um, So when she came over and and couldn't hear the heartbeat, um, we all sort of put it down to that being okay and potentially normal. And my partner left to go overseas the next day. He was going on a snowboarding trip in Japan with his friends. And I had a couple of meetings that day and I'd taken my son to kindy and dropped him off and, had a couple of meetings and I felt funny during that day. I was really off my food and um, just not feeling well at all. And I'm quite white as well. Like my skin, I look very pale. Mm. And then on the Thursday I was putting, um, I'd just gotten Rumi out of the shower and I was putting clothes on him. And while I was sort of kneeling, we have a, we live in Tasmania. So he was lying down in front of the fireplace um, yes, even still in February, <laughs> lying in front of the fireplace, and I was dressing him, and my waters broke, and I just thought that I'd wet my pants because I was you're not really expecting for that to happen. And I was like, "Oh, h- hang on a second for me." So I left him lying there, like half dressed, and went to clean myself up. And when I went to the bathroom, I noticed that I had be- started to bleed. um, And I think I just got in the shower and I knew what was happening because my body began to shake and I, and lots and lots of fresh blood too. Mm. Um, And instantly my body just started to feel like it was releasing, you know, not, not miscarrying straight away, but I just felt like my body lost the support probably from the waters breaking that I previously had had. Mm. Um, And I was, I felt incredibly vulnerable because I don't have family here. Um, My partner was overseas. I'm at home alone with my son. I don't really know our neighbours. We do on the upper side, but I think they're away that evening. Um, So I was like, I don't really know what to do. So I, I was in the shower for a while and in that time my son was calling out from his bedroom "Mummy, mommy come and look at this and I went in there and we had he had pointed out the window and there was a wombat in our backyard oh and wombats I know of all things but they're kind of a bit uh, they're elusive and a bit auspicious like they don't really you don't really see them that often unless you're right out in the wilderness mm. and you certainly don't see them in Hobart so it was really odd that we had this and he was sitting right below or she was sitting right below Romy's window. Um, just hanging
0: out in your backyard.
1: Think, just hanging out in our backyard. And I didn't really register the uh, how incredible that was until afterwards because I was obviously preoccupied with what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I had a shower for a while, came out and, and saw the wombat and... Um, And then I called my midwife and my midwife came around and I was just in, I went into such a strange place. I went into full like uh, planning mode, like, okay, I need this to happen and this to happen. And my midwife was like, Alana, you need to go to the hospital. You're bleeding, you're having a miscarriage and you're also in your second trimester. Um, And she was so beautiful and gentle with me, but I was just not thinking clearly when you're saying planning what what did you mean oh I think I was trying to plan for myself to process the miscarriage at home Ah, um I was like this is going to happen we're going to get a birthing pool I was still sort of almost talking about it like I was going to give birth which I was but not in the way that I had in my head Mm. at that time um so I went to the hospital with my son in the ambulance she finally got me into an, an ambulance and I went with Rumi and he was just amazing and so protective and fully aware of what was going on which as a mother I was just thinking my gosh I don't know if this is too much for him I had planned to have him at the birth of this baby mm-hmm. but miscarriage is a whole nother this is his first time in an ambulance Mummy's bleeding um did he know did you tell
0: for... him or or what, why are you going I just
1: to- I said to him that I was sick okay yeah he said he said what's happening I said I'm just sick and we need to go to the hospital because I ha- wasn't thinking clearly enough to tell him what was going on yeah. I wanted to make sure that when I told him that I had words that were digestible for a three-year-old sure. yeah um so we got to the hospital and that was not a pleasant experience at all because I they were completely booked, every bed was full, um, which is quite common at the hospital down here. They're a little under resourced, so uh, or very under resourced. So I lay on a bed, a stretcher bed, in the what they call the um, I can't even remember, but it's the part where you enter into, you don't even actually go into emergency. So on a, a ramp, basically, outside from yep I uh, from uh, just in just inside the doors of the hospital, so mm-hmm. I lay there mm-hmm. under a blanket, trying to find a dark place, bleeding from ten o'clock till I think four thirty in the morning. Oh, fuck. Um, because they just didn't have a bed. In that time, I'd called my friend who sent her husband to come and collect Rumi, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So he had gone off and with pajamas and. Um, was planning to stay for as long as th- this process would take. Um, I called Nigel in that time. He had just landed in Japan, like literally, and he was quite re- in a, quite a remote place. It wasn't like he would landed in Tokyo. Mm. He had to get back in a car, drive four hours. So he was also on his way home at that time. Um, and then finally, I think at about 5 a.m., I had two female gynecologists come in and say, why is this woman out here? This shouldn't be happening. She needs to be in a private dark space. So they took me into a room and um, looked for the heartbeat again and did a very gentle examination but concluded that there was no heartbeat. Um, And I think I just went into complete shock. Mm. I just... um,
0: take your time you don't have to keep going if you don't want to
1: okay no I'm okay (laughs) you sure yeah yeah you just so I just I'll tell you if it's too much darling thank you um so I went into yeah I just went into shock and I think I just completely, it's almost like my body put this protective layer over me where I just didn't allow myself to feel anything until Nigel got there mm. because we had had this ecstatic, awe-inspiring, very united um, birth with Romy, that I knew that I was about to go through birth in a very different way. Mm. Um, and without him. So it just meant that I, I mean, thank God for the body's intelligence, because it just, I just shut down for that. I think, what was it? Nearly 48 hours until he got home. Um, So once they had told me that they took me up from there, it got much better. They put me in a birthing suite. So I had space and I had privacy and I had my own bathroom Um, which meant that if I bled or or I needed to go to the toilet, I could take care of myself a little bit more. And I, as I said before, with the home birth, I felt more comfortable on my own Mm. um, and in my own space and being able to just gently process things without any interruption. And I had the most beautiful midwife um, who I'll never forget. She was just completely read the situation, read what I needed, confirmed with me that that's what I needed which was ideally space and she put a huge sign on the door saying do not enter this room for any reason (laughs) unless you are you know you're one of the doctors that needs to see her or she really honored what I had tried to cultivate and was planning for in my home birth Mm. so I just was complete so touched by that yeah um So from there, they give you, uh, they they come in and they give you a whole lot of options, which again, I was so numb to, but I knew, I did feel that I just, I didn't want surgery. I wanted to birth the baby. I wanted my body to still go through the process because it was better for my body to do that than um, an internal surgery. Mm. So they give you a drug um, that it's like a little pill that you take that encourages the body into contractions. And the first round didn't work, so this baby was really holding on. Um, and then the second round she explained to me exactly what it would feel like and, again, she gave me the privacy of going through that on my own. Um, so Nigel wasn't here yet, was he? No, no. So I had, I did go through this birth experience on my own. Um, the contractions feel a bit different and the baby's – Smaller, but it's still the intensity of all of it, coupled with the reality of what was unfolding, mm-hmm. was huge um, and very eye opening to all the ways in which pregnancy and birth can go. Yeah. Um, so it humbled me in a huge way. And I gave birth um, to the baby, and they give you the option of whether or not you would like to see the baby and usually that would be something that I would want to do mm. but I just didn't feel stable enough without Nige there yeah. I just I was terrified that I would spiral without him mm. um and I also didn't want to have the experience him me have that experience and him not have that experience so I just decided f- for that not to happen yeah and then he I did have to have surgery as well unfortunately after the birth because my placenta held on, um, which they just they tried to get out, which was incredibly painful but um, that didn't work. So uh, trying I had to, to have pull surgery it out while you're still awake kind of yeah oh, cool. yeah. yeah and I was really asking for as I'm a bit of a naturalist, so I just as least amount of drugs as possible. Um, so they did uh, had still have to put me under, obviously for the placenta yeah. surgery to come out. Yeah. Um, yes. And then from there, uh, Nige turned up the next day, which I think was about 10 hours after the surgery. And I was really groggy from the anesthetic. I'd been basically in and out of sleep all day. I don't really remember that day properly because I don't usually take anything. So the, the drug, even Panadol just knocks me mm. For six, so. Nigel turned up, and it was just—I mean, where do you start? (laughs) I I didn't even know what to say to him. I didn't really know how to be with him. We were both sort of in the room, but didn't even really want to touch one another. It was just confusing. And then Rumi turned up, and Rumi, a three-year-old ball of energy, in the room. Mm. Doctor still coming in and out. I had my blood taken, I don't know how many times in that. I, I reckon close to twenty, wow, thirty times. It was just my arms were all were bruised. They checking
0: on something in particular for for them to be taken?
1: They're for? checking your oxygen and um a whole bunch of other things, but oh. they're basically just making sure that um they're checking to make sure when they can let you go home. Sure, okay. Um, that you're stable enough. So by the Saturday evening. I had been in there since I think Thursday night. Um, they said, yep, yeah, you're fine to go home. And we came home and just cried, mm. <laughs> just cried. It felt like the only thing that we could do at that point. By that stage, Rumi could see that I wasn't pregnant anymore. Um, so we just explained to him that our the baby got sick and the baby's heart stopped and when our heart stops we stop breathing um and so the baby was unwell and the doctors had to take it away and that was a story that I mean gosh if I had chosen not I'm so glad I chose to really heal that because had I not his constant questioning about that just brought me into it every day Mm he was so curious about the whole process and and what had happened and was I okay and why does that happen and um so in some ways a very eye-opening experience for him to have but we just gave him little tiny bits and pieces that he could sit with for a couple of weeks at a time yeah. um and in terms of grieving that it is such a strange and abstract thing to grieve and it was so different to the first miscarriage the first miscarriage was still traumatic and painful but having to go through a birth experience like this and being in a hospital and and hearing on all four walls around me all three walls other women having giving birth Um, and hearing babies you know new babies it was bittersweet it was painful because that was not going to be my experience but it was also beautiful because it was just this constant reflection of the fragility and the beauty of life and death um and so over the next well, up until this moment, I mean, I, we really have just been healing that. And this has been the first thing because it was so big, the business and then the baby and then the birth and Nigel not being there. Um, and both feeling, I guess, even robbed of the experience of being able to share that, at least just the birth. It took a very huge toll on us. Um, our relationship, our ability to communicate about that. In the beginning, in our grief, we were very united. He took time off for work and we went away to um, up to Binelong Bay and just spent time. Friends gave us a beautiful beach shack and we just stayed up there and um, spent time in nature and just let ourselves feel the grief. Mm. So the days were, some days we were feeling better than others and we'd get up and go to the water and we'd swim other days we'd just lie there all day um and again still trying to navigate that with a three-year-old was a bit tricky but
0: was he still asking questions he, at that point he, did.
1: he was but it was more checking in are you okay I mean he still to this day asks those questions but it's more he tells me so he always says "Mummy, you know how you once had a baby in your tummy and then it got sick and then the doctors took it away." Mm. I'm like yeah he goes where do you think that baby is so now we're in this next conversation yeah. about where that baby is and just like him i can still feel that spirit with me in such a strong palpable way mm. um and we found out later because they did testing on on the baby afterwards um just to check that nothing had gone wrong. And and from those, they couldn't indicate that there were any complications. And it was a completely healthy baby. Uh, But we did find out that it was a little girl, which was hugely devastating because my partner had always wanted a little girl. Um, So yeah, we've sort of, I guess the healing process of that is that, that it constantly fluctuates and it catches you by surprise. But it's the first time in my life, as I was saying before, because I knew how big it was with the business and the baby, that I had to process this, that I had to sit with the grief and I had to let myself move through the healing chapters that we move through, you know, that we move really from a place of grief. And then I went to anger, I went to anger that this had happened and for all the different reasons that it could have been prevented or potentially not um then moving into a place of acceptance and then finally a place of forgiveness and then uh, we're at the place that we are now which is reconnection with one another um reconnection with our lives and our child and our our spiritual practice and um yeah so it's been a process it was very very slow and very very painful and a hard thing to talk about with people because miscarriage is so common that it can often be something that people feel like because it's common there's a timeline in which they should feel the feelings and then move on and whether you've had an early miscarriage or a miscarriage a little bit later like we did I feel that trauma is trauma mm. and pain is pain and it needs to be felt
0: yeah
1: it needs to be felt so that you can make sense of it and so that you can unpack it and so that you can at some point let the pain go. But the memory of that and the connection that I have with that child I mean, for both of us, it still feels like a second child. And Nigel will openly say that when people say, How many children have we got? He said, Well, we've had two. Mm. Yeah. So it's been a
0: big year Mm, of growth. Huge. And even though I knew that story, like hearing it again just makes me, one, look at you guys in absolute awe in the way that you have dealt with that and processed that and given yourselves the time. Like you said, there is no timeline on grief. There's no timeline on when you're supposed to feel, quote, unquote, better Mm. or okay or over it uh, you know uh, it and I really I hope and I know that this will help women that may be in similar situations to know that you just got to do whatever it is you need to do and feel it and it could take 10 years it could take one year it's so different but I just feel like the way in which you have dealt with it and processed it and the way that you speak about it is something that a lot of people I don't think can and I think that's mm. just because of your experiences you know your the teachings the studies you've done which which brings me to my next question is there something that you have learned throughout your teachings that really stood by you in this Moment or really helped you to to navigate through it.
1: Mm. Um. Yes, definitely. I, I think the biggest. It's and it's a strange thing to say. It's a teaching because it's almost like it's the reverse meaning of it. But me getting comfortable with the unknown. And that, I am. I'm the eldest of four, I'm a Virgo, I've always worked for myself, so those pieces usually mean that I'm extremely um, resourceful and driven and clear in some ways about where, or many ways about where I want to head, it doesn't mean that I don't stumble and fall, it just means that there is, um, I have a deep drive within me and I always have And so what that can mean, though, is that sometimes we can get very um, out of balance with doing and being and the masculine and the feminine energy. So the masculine being the part that we serve the world and we do things and we um, create and we go after the things that we want. It's the doing aspect of us. The feminine is our ability to receive. It's the intuitive nature. It's the part of us that is in the unknown and very comfortable with the unknown and that teaching was so prominent in the kundalini teacher training that i took last year even in the way that they deliver the teachings usually in other teacher trainings that i've done it would be theory first practice second this was practice and maybe theory at some point but first is your experience and within that experience is a whole lot of unknowns so, when it came right back to this experience of miscarriage, I had to get comfortable with I don't know why this happened. I don't know if I'll have another baby again. I don't know what I'm necessarily meant to be learning from this. I just trust it will come with time. I don't know the impact this is going to have on my family. I don't know the impact that it's going to have on my body. But So that learning to get more comfortable and release control, Mm. (laughs) which the masculine is famous for, which really just stems from a fear of being out of control. Mm. Um, I feel like I've been called right into that. And I also feel like it gave me this huge expansive eye over the beauty and fragility of life and death And how often in our lives, in little moments every day, we're caught up in these sufferings of comparison of what other people have or do or are, or not being good enough or not being in the place that we wanted to be or life hasn't turned out how we want it to be. And that suffering completely disconnects us from just the beauty of being alive and being well Mm. and being really present and grateful with the things that we have. And that doesn't mean to say that if you have three children and you have a miscarriage, that it's like, okay, well then just look to the things that you have and you'll feel better. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just a a perspective over that we have this life, that the only guarantees is that we're born and that we die, and that what we choose to do in between is a creation that stems from us and that we're in charge of that. And I guess I am speaking very much from a spiritual perspective here because it is how I live my life. But the one teaching that has really come through is that reverence for the cycle of life and death and being in some ways able to be a part of that and how that opens me to the wondrous nature of the unknown. Mm.
0: So yeah. it's such an important lesson for so many of us releasing control.
1: Oh, it's huge. That's the one. It's huge. The I even thing. wanted to control my grieving process, yeah. you know, like okay, well, I've done the grieving part. Now I want to move <laughs> on to stage two. <laughs> it was like I wanna and every time my mind went there or I tried to force it going that way, I'd be back at what felt like square one which was really just a new layer for me and that it doesn't, it's not linear, it's a cycle. Yeah. And I'll have moments and weeks where I feel great. And then like moments today where I, I can reconnect with that pain and that heartache and it's still present and it's still there and learning to be okay with that and not go, oh, this isn't the right time, yeah. but rather this is the honest time and that's when it happened and that—that and that is completely fine. That's my human. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to next year?
0: Building a house. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, and I can't wait to come and stay in it.
1: Building a house. So we have a farm um, which we have bought about six years ago uh, in the Huon Valley, just outside of Hobart in Tasmania, which is a little island at the bottom of Australia that often gets forgotten about. A beautiful part of the world. Um, so beautiful. Um, but yeah, we've got twenty-two acres of rainforest down there, so and running creeks and it's it's just beautiful. So the plan is that we will start to build at some point next year. Um and I am trying to next year and even from now just continue practicing this unknown and, and not go into planning mode all the time. Mm. Um, it's a practice that I've been given by my teacher: is to try and do less, and to try and just be with what is, and not always plan and f- uh, be future focused. Mm. Just be really, really present with where I am. I was reading this beautiful, these beautiful words by Anita Morjani the other day, saying that. I love her. A constant. Oh, I love her. <laughs> Me too. I love her work. I feel like her book is so. It's nothing that I haven't read before, but it is so accessible yes, and so easy to read. Yeah, isn't it? That book, and it just no, You're talking about the first book
0: that I read, Don't Dying to Be to Me, me. That, that's, and I've said it multiple times, but that's, that's why we started IVF. Like, that's why I decided. Oh. That's why I got over all of my shit that I needed to unpack before that, and I read that book in Hawaii on the North Shore. And I remember I literally put the book down and looked at Adrian. I went, "When we get back home, we're, we're starting. It's all happening." Like I was just so.
1: You've never told me that. that. Oh. Never. Oh my gosh! Well, there you
0: go. I swear I've got it written oh. somewhere on my blog or something. But um, oh. yeah, I so I'm. I feel you. She is incredible her words and the way that she writes is so accessible for anyone even if you're not into quote-unquote
1: spiritual stuff
0: Mm. her stuff is powerful
1: very powerful very powerful because it starts from a place that we all understand which is being aware of the inner critic and the constant dialogue about not being good enough or not being right or not feeling like we belong we can all resonate with Mm. that um yeah and then stemming that all the way out into more expansive subjects about being alive life <laughs> and being in other realms and everything and, else Yeah life yeah. and death and yeah. everything else so I love that that book did that for you because that's going to mean that book means even more to me now I had no idea yeah. Um she's yeah I still I remember yeah. reading
0: the page and like the feeling of what am I, what, because I was so in my head about, oh, it's going to send me crazy. The drugs are going to do this to my body. It's not natural, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember mm. reading it and just went, I'm going to be fine. I can do that. Yeah. It's the only, the only meaning that is going to be, be put on that experience is the one that I give it and if I think it's just I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to have a baby then that's what it's going to be if it's it doesn't need to be I'm ruining my body and I'm using drugs and all that, like you know that was just a it's just changing perspective really
1: it is changing perspective and you're so right with where the where our de- decisions start is that that's that is the right place for you and it's just as simple as that just trusting that that is a place that you needed to start your journey. It's me trusting that for whatever reason I've had one and now a second later miscarriage. Um, and the curious spiritual aspect of me is always, uh, you know, curious about why and what I can learn here and that there's so many ways towards motherhood and so many ways towards healing and so many ways to approach life that there is no wrong way. Um, Yes, but what was the question you asked me before sorry what am I looking forward to Oh building a house yes. yeah so we're building a house yes. um and I'll have a big fireplace for you so you'll be nice and warm <laughs> Nick <Bloody laughs>
0: <cold has laughs> <came out laughs> even in November
1: <laughs> yeah my son seeking friend um yeah so it, that's what we're looking forward to next year mm, and too. uh yeah that will be a love project that one and yeah, just having people down to practice yoga and come down for dinner and stay with mm. us and just enjoy our property. Yeah. And so, where can my mm-hmm. listeners find you if they want to know
0: more about you and what you do? Because you've got a retreat coming up in Brisbane in a few I do. weeks.
1: Or few, yeah, three, four yes. weeks' time. Yeah, yeah three, yeah. four weeks' time. There's a couple of spots left for it. So, it's a self acceptance day retreat. Um, at Soul Space in Brisbane on the 8th of December Um, and we work very deeply into the hips which is the place of self-acceptance and the part of the body that we energetically process and hold emotion Um, and just work into as a group but also individually and within pairs where our imbalances are and what we can do to bring ourselves back into balance whether we're in excess or depletion um, in that energetic part of the body so it's also a really beautiful one for mothers too um and people that have had trauma in them because you're working with the hips you're working with the womb space um we're going to be crying our eyes so, out are we?
0: Yeah, because <laughs> i'm coming along <laughs> to this and i'm like oh i can yeah.
1: see the floodgates
0: <laughs> opening already
1: but yeah. <laughs> tears are healing we hold it in too oh, much yeah you know, we've got to let and i'm a big cry for you, what we've got to Oh, you are! I love that about you. You always feel feel your emotions. That's right. Um, and what about? People yeah, so that's, where I they find you? Uh, at Alchemy. So I teach at Alchemy a couple of days a week, and I offer privates um, and one to one spiritual guidance there as well. Um, and if they're looking for me on social media, they can find me on. Uh, I think I'm. I am dot Alana I, love you. I think I'm. <laughs> I'll put the link in the show notes just in case Alana doesn't know her
0: Instagram handle.
1: I'm not very good at the whole self-promotion thing. I never have been. But yes, I'm really I do sure you. my handle. <laughs> Yeah, you're wonderful at it. I'm I'm not very good.
0: Oh, yes. thank you. It's been such a treat and a privilege and an honor to have you and chat. And of course we could chat for as we do most times, we chat for many hours. Um yeah. But thank you for opening up and, and going there again for us today and, and being brave and vulnerable. And I just know that you doing that provides and opens up the space for so many women to do so as well. So I love you long time and
1: thank you so so much. I love you. Thank you for having me, darling. It's a real honour to come on here and share um our story. And I do hope that it serves the women listening who are processing anything similar. um, Yeah, just continue to trust yourself and continue to um, let yourself feel what you need to feel. That is the only way forward and through it. Um, Yeah, and I hope that this has served at least one person out there. I told you guys she was pretty special I am
0: so so blessed to have her in my life and I really hope that you got a lot out of our chat today as we mentioned she does have a self-acceptance day retreat coming up in Brisbane on the 8th of December so if you want to head over to Alana's Instagram which is I am dot Alana Jane a l a Jane and you can find out all the details there for all of today's show notes just head over to Nicolejoinspire.com forward slash podcast and i'll have all of the links to everything that we spoke about in the show that's relevant for you guys i'd love to hear your feedback on this one over on instagram at nicolejoyinspire and if you've got any ideas for other episodes please let me know hope you've enjoyed this guys it's been a real treat bringing this one to you